All right. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome back. We're back. Episode 10. Holy moly. We made it this far. We're still going. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And we're here today to talk about world's best boss. Yeah. Lots of good bosses out there. I would say more bad bosses than good bosses. This is just my personal opinion and observation. But yeah, when you can get a good boss, that's why so many people like stick with people as they leave companies because, you know, old school, not old school, like old advice has always been sort of, you know, pick a good manager, not a good company because they a really good boss is going to accelerate your career your skills, like just everything in like such a much bigger way is going to advocate for you, be a cheerleader. So when you can find a good one, stick with them if you can. Yeah, for sure. And I think that you're right. There are a lot of bosses with opportunities. Yeah. And some of them are bad, but I think that a lot of people just don't know how they should be showing up as a leader. And I do a lot of studying on the kind of traditional archetype of a leader or archetype of a leader. So looking at like, we've always thought it was, you know, this usually man, you know, usually, you know, in a suit and a tie and they're strong and outspoken and all these things have been what in the past has been a leader. And what's research is showing that it's actually a lot more than that, that makes a big, like that makes a big impact. And really, There's a lot to be said for the complete opposite of that. And how do we actually integrate that more? So I know like I work with leaders and a lot of them don't know. So they don't want to be a shitty boss. Yeah. And so it's like, how do they get to that next step? And we can talk about that. Yeah. And actually that like typical archetype, like old white man leader, big alpha takes up space is actually, I have this somewhere, but I don't know exact numbers, but a large enough percentage of them are actually narcissists. Like this is actually like those characteristics are often because they are like seeking attention and they're not always really the best bosses. They get there because they're like audacious and, you know, they have strong personalities and they And they like, you know, they have big egos and, you know, they can be manipulative. Obviously not all. It's like not just like a generalization, but there is like a good portion of that typical what we've been taught is equals good leadership that you have to, you know, always have an opinion and you have to show up and you have to, you know, be strong and is not necessarily always what works all the time. Yeah, for sure. And I think that, you know, there are also people that turn into great bosses who might be looking like that archetype. And it's really about, are people willing to kind of lean into what it takes to be a strong leader and not just a boss? And I know we kind of said this is about world's best boss, but it's really not about, you know, the Michael Scotts of this world who really (laughs) fall into trying to be that, like, I am everybody's best friend and let's play ping pong and I'm going to yell at you kind of thing. So, you know, like this is really evolving as the world evolves, which is really cool. I knew we couldn't get through this episode without referencing The Office. (laughs) Well, we did start with World's Best Boss, which that mug, it will always mean Michael Scott to me. And I'm pretty sure he bought it himself. Yep. And you know what? I just thought of a point I wanted to make earlier, but I also think that kind of what I said 
about finding that that leader, that boss that that is one of the good ones. I mean, they are like diamonds out there, like needles in a haystack. And very often, you know, good bosses will have some of those characteristics, but it's hard to find ones with all of like the really good characteristics. But, you know, there's some like really bad ones out there that are just, you know, they're awful. You'd like, you can see they're awful through their daily interactions and, you know, the way they do things. But then there, there's like some like a mixed bag in there too that are either like that from experience or that's they were just like leading from example or they genuinely want to do better and have some strengths and skills in certain areas and are trying to develop maybe the ones that they're not as good at um or you know where they want to either you know learn better coaching skills or better influencing skills or better communication skills so, you know, just because someone's not like the full package, you know, they may genuinely have like intentions of getting there and they're are on their journey to get there, too. I don't think anybody has it all under control because <laughs> everybody is people. I don't know. They're unicorns. Unicorns exist. <laughs> I bet you anything. They also have their opportunities of things that they could work on. And it is, is about true. finding you know, a nice mixture of what is needed from people to be a good leader. And part of being like a good person is also understanding that people still have faults and allowing that to be there. But there's some faults that are more forgivable than others. A good example is when I think of, you know, some of the best leaders that I've worked with, you know, like there's some core value-based behaviors that they show up with that I'm like, that is what's important. And some of them will be like absolute shit at like things like being on time or communicating or like different types of communication. But like there's things that they still have as an opportunity, but because they align with my values, it's okay. Because that is nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. Yeah. I'm just going to like come out and say that you know I consider myself like I was a pretty good boss I really like gave a fuck about you know my employees but man when you said the like not being on time thing (laughs) I was and you know of course when you're a manager and you're a boss you work the job not the hours and you know so it's not necessarily exactly the same but I think it's good to lead by example and you know but I think also that like you know, you should like show up before everyone else. And like, you know, I think that's a little bit archaic, but Lord knows I was never there before everyone. And, and the, the like odd time that I was there and people would like roll in late or like after me, I would get so annoyed. I'm like the one time I'm so proud of myself. I like I like made it here before everyone else. And then dare anyone roll in there like one minute after nine. I'm like, where are you? (laughs) And then I always have to like check myself. You know, these are like internal conversations happening. But but I'm just I'm so proud of myself. I made it. But yeah, I just got to like call myself out there. That that was my one thing that I was like, I don't, you know. And but my hours were more flexible, too, because, you know, I had a kid and school drop off. And so my hours were a little bit different, but I mean, certainly like worked the, the job hard. But that that was just like a funny thing. I feel yeah. like I've always I'm the, the time management. It's the ADHD, man. It's rough. It's like you can't have everything. 
Yeah, fair enough. And like, that's where it is, you know, leaning in and, and also a good leader allows that for their staff as well. Yes. You know, Agreed. like you, you have to give your staff and the people you that you support allowance to be human and, you know, also have opportunities yeah. and to work on it and coach it and stuff like that. But I mean, yeah, you have to kind of be there together. Yeah, for sure. And I would say I like rarely manage people's time because again, it's, you know, if you want to trust them, that if you want to build trust and it's, it's really about like, are you getting the job done and are you supporting the team and are you supporting the business? And, and then it really like, you know, unless you're like not showing up or you're not calling, you know, if you're going to be more than a certain amount of time, but, but really like actively managing people's time when really the jobs are, you know, can't have a lot of autonomy. I think that's just a waste of like leadership energy and like boss time. You could be doing much more productive things than micromanaging someone's ass. And it depends on the position because I will yeah, say if other people are waiting to go on their break or some people are off and there's a business to run, time management is something that does have to show up. And maybe other things yeah. aren't the ones that you have to focus on. So you have to really kind of be clear about expectations and, you know, those types of things. But anyways, we could talk just about that one thing yeah. for the whole time. So we'll <laughs> get back on track. So I grabbed like... 10 essential qualities of a leader from multiple sources, just kind of pulling out some things that I see um, and that we've talked about for years because we've talked about leadership. Oh, man. We've yeah. been in leadership roles together. We've been in leadership roles in different companies. And, you know, we talk about this shit a lot. So I grabbed some things and I thought we could kind of go over 10 essential qualities of a good leader. Yeah. So the first one I have is drive. So like highly motivated and purpose driven. Yeah, if you're not going to be showing up the way you want to see your team show up, it's really hard to, to like make inroads there. And drive, again, doesn't necessarily look like the old like male stereotype that we just sort of talked about. It's, you know, it's not necessarily coming in hot and being loud and but being driven, working towards a mission and being, you know, not not having that be hidden from, you know, you don't have to internalize that. I think being able to share that and inspire your team with with your own drive, then you're going to be in like a way better spot. But I like that. Yeah. yeah. And I think like to build on what you're saying, like it actually brings up like another of the 10 that I chose, which is the ability to motivate, inspire and like inspire your followers. So if you're driven and you're passionate about what you're doing and you're purpose filled, then that will kind of bubble out onto your onto your team and they can sense if you're driven and if you're there and that will motivate them and i think that i i've worked for a disengaged boss and it that also will spread because mm -hmm. people will be able to tell that you're not really totally into it anymore you'll start noticing that they're starting to look for other things if you are you know like yeah i would yeah. say right next to having someone disengaged like in your team and like not dealing with it right next to that being like super toxic for a team is having a boss that is not really you know engaged and and, and into it and i i think that that can have devastating effects it can be a slow burn too and it becomes a little bit like insidious and yeah poison for sure poison ivy 
Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so those are both really important. The next one is resilience. So leading is stressful or it can be stressful and you have to take care of yourself in order to be effective for others. And I know that, you know, quite often leaders, they want to be like, yes, I'm going to work harder than everyone. I'm going to show them, you know, there's the old idea that you have to be the first in the office and the last to leave or, you know, all of those things. But at the same time, if you don't take care of yourself, it'll be almost impossible to take care of your people. And so that's what builds resilience. So resilience is a skill that takes a lot of different things. And that's the ability, like it means the ability to bounce back. But in order of that, to get that resilience, you have to take care of yourself. Yeah. And for for me, resilience has a lot to do with, I have like so many thoughts on resilience, but we'll be here all night. So I'm going to keep it to, I think that resilience has also a lot to do with having a growth mindset. And not like confusing resilience with, because I like, I went many years with this like thought of, okay, well, you know, you didn't get the promotion, you didn't get the job and you like bounce back. And it's, you know, not to be confused with like staying in an unhealthy sort of employer relationship, but having a growth mindset around, around things, I think is a, a really big driver also for resilience as well. Interesting. I actually have growth mindset on here, but kind of under a different area. And I think it is required to be resilient. But um, for me, that kind of falls under humility, which is like learning humility, knowing that you're, you know, not always right, being willing to look at things through a different light, having growth mindset, having self-awareness, making sure that you understand both your strengths and your opportunities and your limitations as well as your like your successes. So to me like yeah, it definitely builds on that like another part of the humility piece is willingness to share the spotlight and give praise where due. Recognize and don't take yeah. all the credit. I fucking hate that. Yeah, that's that is my pet peeve. I had a boss that did that and it drove me nuts. And I, you know, towards just like periods in my career where I just like would not settle for that and would actually, you know, be really assertive around that kind of behavior and really like call it out. And again, if you have like a weak boss, they're not gonna, they wouldn't like, they like a good boss wouldn't do that in the first place, but then also the response to maybe like calling it out or asking questions around that or clarify, like clarifying things around that can also really like set things off. That's my like ick (laughs) with like managers, bosses. Yeah, for sure. For sure. (laughs) Absolutely. And you just like showed who you are like gross. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like the grossest thing you can do as a manager. Yeah. And I think that some workplace cultures actually breed that and recognizing that leaders have responsibility for the whole team. And so, yes, there is some things they're going to get praise from, you know, the people up above, but it's then how you say, you know what, it was my whole team. We all did this. This is awesome. I thank them. And then bringing it back and showing them the love as well is really important. Yeah. Great. And being willing to change your mind. That is such an important one. Yeah. Because in like a good business, like things do, if you're not, if there's no change, like you you can't be stagnant in like this day and age. So there's always going to be change. And if you can't move along with that. Yeah. It's not going to work. For sure. 
All right. So next one is integrity, which is really authenticity, being honest, reliable, having that trust builds. Employees need to know that their leader will behave ethically. Yeah. And in integrity, I think, at least from my experience, has really, it like shows up when you're not around. Yeah. And, you know, you know that your boss has integrity when when there's an opportunity to take ownership or like to do the right thing, even when it's hard or, you know, to give credit where credit is due, even when, you know, you wish you thought about the thing or, you know, did the work or, or whatever. And it it I think it's it, it's in the the offbeats or when things go wrong, where you can often really see whether someone has a really strong foundation of integrity or not. But but it, I, it has a lot to do with how people show up, you know, when no one else is looking or when the decision makers are not looking. For sure. And I think that that is, you know, you have to do that in order to build trust. And yeah. when I work with teams or leaders who have teams that are kind of broken a bit and they're having challenges, the first thing we look at is like, okay, well, what are you doing to build their trust? How are you maintaining that? And a lot of it comes down to, you know, are you showing up in the way that you say you will? Are you being who you, you know, who you say you are? And leaning into that can help do that altogether. Yeah. Actions have to be consistent with mm-hmm. your messages. Mm-hmm. All right. Strategic mindset. So seeing the big picture, being a step ahead, really kind of having that longer view of what your goals are and those types of things. Yeah. I mean, like someone's got to steer the ship. (laughs) Someone's got to know where it's going. (laughs) So if you're getting me on your boat, I want to know where the hell we're going and who's getting us there and what is my part. Yeah, absolutely. Like if the organization doesn't give you enough, that's where it can be really frustrating because if you have like moving goalposts of what you're trying to achieve, it's really hard to get your team on behind you. And so for me, strategic mindset is really, really important to have a strong piece of that within their, in the culture of the organization that you're working. Okay. So the next one is confidence. So, you know, it's really important to have confidence to be the leader is important for decision making, which our people need us to be able to make decisions. It can be learned, that's for sure. With confidence, it's always great to have that calm, collected kind of confidence, especially in tough times. And confidence is required to ensure that you know you're not going to make everyone happy, but you must be confident and you're trusting your intuition when you know you are making the right decision. So you can't make everybody happy. You're not going to have everybody say, woo, that was the best boss ever. (laughs) Yeah. Some of the best advice I got real early on in my leadership journey, like in my early 20s, like one of like my favorite people that I ever worked with, who I still love to this day, told me that if everybody hates you, it's a problem. Like that's like clearly a problem. You're a dick. But if everybody loves you, that's also a problem. And you can't, you shouldn't, that means that you're just trying to please everybody and you're not doing your job as best as you can because it's impossible to always make everybody happy. So it really just like, you know, not literally, 
But if everybody loves you all the time, you know, you can like respect someone and like working for them, even if you, you know, don't agree with their decisions. And I think that's more like the essence of it is, you know, you can't work towards agreement and making everybody comfortable. And, and, and often if you're a people pleaser, you can get lost in that and miss the, you know, miss opportunities when you're trying to cater to everybody else. Because like really early on, I, I struggle. I mean, I was not a natural leader in, in my early days. And, you know, I was sort of really going like gung ho on things. And, and she's like, you know, you make sure that, make sure that you're not going for this, like trying to please everybody because you're going to get stuck there and it can like turn you into a doormat and it's okay if not everybody agrees with you all the time. For sure. For sure. And I think that, you know, as an ex and sometimes still people pleaser, it's a lot easier if you come to terms with you're not going to make everyone happy and that's okay. Not everybody makes you happy and that's okay. And so, you know, Having that confidence in that is also freeing. So everybody yeah. makes a couple of people unhappy and it's impossible not to do so. And the best you can do is try not to cause harm. But decision making without harm is a different thing. So, you know, confidence can be like a real like like physical thing, but it's also really like a mental thing as well. I love um, Amy Cuddy's TED Talk on like... The superwoman pose. Yes. Inga is showing me it right now if you're (laughs) listening. And like this, you know, just like before interviews or whatever, you know, it's like gives you confidence. So like there's like a physiological reaction, you know, when you take up space and you, you know, get into power poses. Of course, definitely there's tons of research that works, but it's like the body mind connection really that's going to get you all the way there. You can learn it. Mm -hmm. Amy Cuddy teaches it in her TED Talk. Yeah, I often I often tell Recommend. people about that that video. All right, so positivity. So optimism, but not toxic positivity. Yes. I've for years now been using the term toxic optimism because I think I have that, but but toxic positivity is a little bit a, a little bit different, but you have to nobody's going to want to follow a leader or a boss that is like moping around and who's negative all the time. Yeah. And I think that, you know, your team needs to see that you have optimism about the ability to meet goals in order to meet them. And they want to see, you know, somebody who's motivating, who's inspiring. And that has some level of optimism. If you're a pessimist, it's going to like, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. The cynics and stuff like that. There's times and places for that. But as a leader, the way you show up as a leader, it's important to have some of that positivity and optimism. But you don't want to have it to the point where you never show like, you know what? You're right. This isn't a great time right now. We have just had to do major layoffs or we've just had to shut down because of a pandemic. Like there's so many things that you have to be real about and not just being like, it's okay. Just, you know, just power through. Everything's going to be fine because that's fucking annoying. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, it's not very helpful either. And it it can really like come across as like, you don't know what the fuck you're doing. It's like missing the point. (laughs) For sure. 
So yeah, we, we want to make sure that that kind of positivity shows up without the toxicity. Very, very important. Okay, so communication skills. So clear, strong leadership is crucial. Clear expectations, feedback and vision, strong listening skills, active listening. Yeah, it's another, um, I feel like, overused term, like active listening, active, but very, very few people actually really like can like grasp that and understand it. And then like even fewer, it can actually implement that and, and really do it. And I mean, I have like years and years, all my like almost all my leadership career try to get better at that. I think it's it's human, you know, part of that is like just like fighting human nature, but really actually clearing your mind to listen and receive someone else's message without judgment and then you know responding because you you've listened or not like listening to react listening to respond is i think a a super undervalued skill and people that are really good at it i think are the ones that build the strongest relationships and have the biggest following and have like you know more engaged teams because when you can actually listen at a deep level without the distraction of thinking how you're going to respond or what you're going to say next or what's for lunch, <laughs> you're going to have, a, a, you're going to be a way stronger leader. For sure. And I mean, it is like, it is a learned behavior. Yeah. It's one of the most important things for being a coach. It's hard, man. It's like hard when, especially if you have strong opinions and, and especially you, you really just want to get your opinion in there. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah, yeah, it is hard, but it's a learned. It is learned. It, that's, I guess, the point I'm trying to make is that you, you, it's a dedicated effort, and you'll get better and better. It's a practice. It's not like I don't think you ever get to like there's an end goal and like now I am an active listener at all times, 100. percent I don't think that that is necessarily achievable. But dedicating yourself to this practice of active listening is and getting better at it over time is well worth it. Yeah. And some people are better at it than others. Yes. <laughs> and I don't think that you need to active listen all the time. Yeah. I think that community I mean, this is true. <laughs> You're so right. <laughs> Sometimes you just need to mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> and move on with your life. <laughs> and I think that, you know, that's just one part of what we're talking about with communication skills. So that's also being able to give feedback and really be able to share vision and direction and all of those things. But listening is a huge part because you want to make sure that your people are heard. The other thing with communication skills is it doesn't always show up in the way that you need. And so being able to have that conversation is important. I've had leaders that are really good written. And then when you talk to them, maybe it's not as impactful. And I've had other leaders that, I mean, they're emails sucked. They were like, you know, two letter emails. (laughs) Yeah. Like, uh, you know, I'm not as great with like the written word. And so, but when I would talk to them, then I'd get the clarity and everything that I needed from that. Yeah. And also some leaders are really good, strong one-on-one, but, but struggle in like a group setting, you know, or like a morning huddle or, you know, presenting, a report or, you know, a, like a pitch idea or, you know, in the boardroom, but are really strong one-on-one. You know, if you're more introverted, maybe maybe you are stronger in that like one-on-one setting. Maybe as an extrovert, you're 
you're stronger in those like bigger crowds and where you're like getting energy and your communication style can be individualized by employee or by like person that that is on your team or your extended team. But I think it can also your communication style can be different in different settings and sort of learning how to like master that or, or really hone that in your advantage is really powerful. For sure. So the next one on here, the last one is empathy and vulnerability. These are huge. And I think that there's a balance of, you know, really how you balance being able to connect with maybe what people are feeling and stuff, but then also having some professional boundaries around that. And same with vulnerability, sharing what you're feeling and sharing sometimes maybe what are some stuff that's going on with you or some opportunities or weaknesses is really important without oversharing so that people lose lose faith in you as a leader. Yeah. And we could do a whole episode on this, I think, but vulnerability and and maybe invite Brene Brown. But I think vulnerability often it's quite overused these days. And I think people think that that it means that you're you're just like oversharing and you're verbalizing everything that's like in your heart and mind and you're wearing your heart on your sleeve. And in, in a leadership role, I think it, it's important to acknowledge when you've made a mistake and, you know, be honest about, you know, where things are at and, and, and like show up as, as your true self and, and, and all of those things. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you're like dumping your shit on people all the time. And Definitely. I think that gets confused a lot. And especially in like newer, you know, it's like startup environments where it's like, you know, we like fuck the old corporate structure and everybody's just, you know, over there. Oh, it's, you know, celebrating this, like I'm being vulnerable by sharing that I made this like huge mistake and the company is like not going to survive or we might go bankrupt is like, you know, you got to have the right sort of professional boundaries in there. And vulnerability can look like, can look like sharing, you know, outwardly, like some, some, some genuine, like authentic things that are, that are going on, but it can also be like recognizing that you made a mistake, you know, d- taking the right steps to to take care of that, but then not necessarily broadcasting. I made this mistake, and you know, here like cry on the thing, or you know, I just had to. What was that like LinkedIn thing? Like that CEO crying, uh, like woe is me. I had to like fire all these people, and it was like my fault and my mistake. And I over it. it, it like I don't know if that's it. It's more like recognizing that you fucked up, say like, this is really hard. We wish these people, you know, here's how we're going to support these people. Here's how we're going to change and make it better. But then going and like get a mentor, get your executive coaching, go see a therapist, like do the things that are necessary for you. Like that's also being vulnerable. It's also being vulnerable and then like taking action and doing something with it and making sure that, you know, that's not going to happen again in that same way and, you know, in sort of a corporate environment. But I I think vulnerability can look like in different ways, but it's not like dumping your shit on everyone. Oh, for sure. And I think what you were describing there was performative vulnerability. Yes. Yeah. Like, come on, man. Like, shut the fuck up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So that is the top 10. And so that's kind of what we've got for today. And I think that we would love to hear stories of what has shown up for you as leadership qualities that you've seen 
in your bosses. We'd love to hear your stories. You can reach out to us through our website or even, you know, all of the information is in the show notes. But we would love to hear from you. I love these 10. We'll continue this conversation. And like Kelly said, let's let's hear it. What do you think? Contribute to the conversation and see if we can come up with like a really nice comprehensive list. Yeah. And in the meantime, be a leaner, not a wiener. Ha, 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 ha.